Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it's good news indeed, because for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Uh, King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of Peace, we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this weekend. Now, today is the 23rd of December, of course. Um, We do best of uh, kind of recaps from the week on the weekend editions of the Bottom Line Show. So today, I would love to share good news with you about the good news here on this Good News Friday. The beauty of Good News Friday, of course, is we talk about this every week here on the broadcast, but uh, lest we think that the program initially started, it's funny, we started doing the Bottom Line Show September 19th, 2011, and it was during that time that we, uh, you know, we came up on holidays, it's like, okay, we got to do something nice for Thanksgiving and for Christmas and that type of thing. But then over time, a couple things happened. First of all, the show had to consolidate from two hosts to one. <laughs> Just That was an economic reality, and it happens in the business all the time. Um, then shortly after, I started hosting the program solo on April, or excuse me, yeah, April the 29th, uh, 2013. God called me, well, actually, I'd been doing an internship in my church for a couple of years, but God called me into seminary. And I started studying with Niagara Lutheran Theological Institute, and I uh, started getting my chops up for learning homiletics and hermeneutics and Greek and Hebrew and stuff like that. And got a very comprehensive but uh, overview of what it meant to be a Lutheran pastor. And then I wound up being ordained on the 23rd of August, 2015. So somewhere around that time, I, I noticed something going back and looking over some of my old sermons from that time. Um, I was a fairly okay presenter before I started studying this really intently. And you'll notice, people have, have made the comment that once I started in my seminary journey, um, even though I knew the basic tenets of the Christian faith and I could articulate it to people, um, that's when we started getting a lot more dig deep into the Word. And then on March the 12th, 2018, I had open heart surgery and realized, oh my goodness, I mean, this, this life is but a vapor and I really shouldn't be taking it for granted. And it kind of turned me into an evangelist of sorts. I know Lee Strobel and I have had this conversation before about, you know, do you consider yourself an apologist or an evangelist? I think Lee is one of the best apologists around, someone who can actually make an apology or an explanation. Not, not the uh, traditional cultural apology, which is, I'm sorry. <laughs> what I think of right now, apologize, say you're sorry. When the actual definition of an apology is to give an explanation. And First Peter 3.15 tells us that every time somebody asks us to tell them why we believe what we believe or feel what we feel as it pertains to our faith in Christ, we should be able to give an explanation. And, uh, and and so toward that end, I, I found a calling uh, here in the Bottom Line Show to uh, to really do, I think, a thorough explanation of the gospel because oftentimes I meet people who say, oh yeah, my church, we preach the gospel all the time. And what they mean is they teach out of the Bible. They don't necessarily preach the gospel. In fact, I did not get a clear articulation in a Lutheran church, which uh, specializes in the proper delineation of law and gospel, but I did not get a proper explanation, if you will, an apology, uh, until I went to seminary. And and the Lutheran Church prides itself on doing this better than most other denominations. But you could go to a non-denominational church or Baptist church or whatever, and they'll say, do you believe in God and you've been saved and you've been baptized and you give to the church? And, and that's all very well and good. But I, the way I see a lot of Christians living out our lives, I don't want to say their lives, because, I mean, we are all part of one body of Christ, 
it's been brought to my attention, and we've been made very much aware of the fact that the uh, the call to Christ is the call to serve, but it's also the call to repentance. And you first have to be able to acknowledge the fact that you are sinful, that we are sinful apart from Christ, and we cannot free ourselves from the bondage of sin. Now, that sin came into the world because of mankind, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. But since through man came sin, death, if you will, also through man came the resurrection of the dead, and that is Jesus Christ. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the, uh, the, the righteousness and the children of God. And that all begins here at the culmination of the Advent season with the birth of Jesus Christ. But one of the things I love about Scripture and studying it is how many years, you know, people walk with the Lord and they'll say, yeah, I know this. I, I know it. I know it. I know it. I know it. I'll never forget the first time I ever came in contact with somebody who had one of those aha revelation, revelatory moments. It was at a, a church uh, locally. It was uh, part of an orchestra that was actually uh, playing. Uh, my dad was doing a Christmas musical or Easter musical, something like that. And it must have been Easter because a gentleman who I'd known for quite some time, uh, who'd been in part of these groups for many, many years, came up afterwards to me and he goes, you know, this was a really great cantata. I don't remember which one it was. I mean, they were all great. <laughs> I'm just biased with toward my dad. And he came up to me and he said, wow, I'm so glad you played and this is really great. He goes, you know, that Passover thing. He said, you know, I, I, I never really made the connection that because of the blood of the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, that the angel passed over the, the homes of God's people who were there. And in the same way, the blood of the lamb marking and cleansing our hearts means that sin and death will pass over us as well. And I thought to myself, that's interesting. You've been in church for 40 years and you're just now figuring this out. But it made me aware of the fact that for those who would say, well, there you go, preach it to the choir again, we desperately need to preach to the choir because there are a lot of people coming to church, singing in the choir, super volunteers teaching Sunday school who may not know the basic tenets of the faith. So over the years, Good News Friday started out as a, hey, here's a Christian doing something great, or here's the government doing something good for the church, or whatever. And it was kind of innocuous. It was really, I mean, innocent, I think, in, on a rather naive level. But over time, and especially post-surgery, that is probably the most common email I get from bottom line listers. You know, every now and again, it's a rebuke. It's a constructive criticism. I mean, even if you're wrong, at least you're articulate. and you. <laughs> I mean, and I mean that sincerely. And I don't answer all of them because, quite frankly, I mean, getting into little side conversations uh, may not be the best thing for the overall health of the program pertaining to when someone does bring something up and then we say, well, hey, let's talk about it on the air. We could bring it up for group discussion. So if you've sent me an email recently and I didn't respond to you directly, that's the reason why. Nothing personal. It really is just a, a matter of saying, hey, what? how can we benefit the larger body of Christ? You get several hundred thousand people who tune into the program over the course of a week and want to get everybody involved instead of just having you know sidebar conversations. But it's amazing to me how when you talk about the good news, how many people you know who uh, profess a really strong faith in Christ don't really know it. There are a lot of people who are going to be going to church tomorrow night and maybe on Sunday morning, and hopefully your church is meeting Sunday morning. I really do pray that we would not abandon the Lord's Day because we want our open presence at home. But the idea that there are people who think they know what they don't really know, and the fact that they also maybe... Uh, can keep learning things. I, I, I'll tell you what, that whole passage 
uh, in Lamentations about God's mercies being new every morning, it never ceases to amaze me. And this especially since my surgery, but it never ceases to amaze me how many times I'll hear a sermon from a pastor somewhere else, maybe not even my church, and or I'll hear a commentator on the radio or you know, read an article or something like that where God will open my eyes a little bit bigger, open my heart a little bit more, my mind uh, it gets expanded to say, wow, I didn't know that. And I love that discovery. I love that that sonriendo moment, you know, where you're, oh, this is the beginning of the sunrise, right? It's just, it's, Michael Card calls it the sunrise of your smile, but you, it hits your soul and you, it just reflects on your face. It's just so wonderful. I really, as my prayer for you this Christmas, is that as you go to church, that as you go to worship, as you spend time with family, that God reveals himself, that there's one more present under the tree, if you will, for you faith-wise, that you can open up and say, oh my gosh, I didn't realize. I didn't know. And, and thus you grow deeper. Instead of saying, oh, wow, I didn't know. I feel kind of dumb about that. It's, no, wait a minute. I didn't know, and God gave this gift to me so I can grow deeper in relationship with him. That is my prayer for you this Christmas. So this Good News Friday today, uh, we're taking the first hour of the program, and I want to focus on a part of the story that we blow right past so often. It involves uh, people who were the first to hear the good news of the actual birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the role that they played in helping to uh, tell the greatest story ever told. Uh, Each of us has a shepherd story, as I like to say, and I want to dig into this a little bit and explain more about what I mean by that and how we can all be encouraged this Christmas. So buckle up. We're going to take the next hour here. We'll take a quick break here, and then we'll come back and get into our shepherd story on this Good News Friday, Christmas Eve Eve edition of The Bottom Line. Keep it right here. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to this Christmas Eve Eve edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good News Friday, and we're talking about the best news ever, which is for unto us, a child is born, unto us a son is given. And we're talking about this from the perspective of Old Testament writings in uh, Isaiah and New Testament writings in Titus, of all places, Titus chapter 2, and then the uh, gospel account in uh, Luke chapter 2 as well. You know, the, the idea I mentioned earlier that each of us has a shepherd's story or a shepherd's song to sing. And as we celebrate the glory to the newborn king that we're celebrating, and for many people, I was talking with Pastor Jeremy McGarity earlier this week from Skyline Church, and their uh, Christmas Eve services started on the 22nd. I mean, they've got so many people who want to come and worship. And I have to admit, 
in daily ministry and regular ministry for ha- more than half my life, um, it was that was always something that was really sacri- sacrosanct to me. And I realize now, uh, now that I haven't been in pulpit ministry for about a year and still waiting for God to open up the next opportunity, uh, that I look at that now and I say, you know, it's more important, I think, for people to come and hear the Christmas Eve message than for them to physically be having their butt in the pew on the 24th of December. And and I realized that, you know, for some people for whom Christmas isn't that special of a day, you know, quite frankly, anytime God's people are together and the gospel is being proclaimed, um, that's a day for celebration. So if we look at the calendar and say it's December 24th, go to church, by all means do that. But it's amazing how many churches would say, oh, yeah, you have to be here on the 24th. But then they'll go, wait, the 25th is a Sunday. What do we do with that? You know, <laughs> as a matter of fact, um, it shouldn't be a hard decision, but it's amazing how many it is because, well, you know, no one's going to come. Really, no one's going to come. So we have to go to Christmas Eve service on the 24th. But if the 25th is a Sunday, then, well, no one's going to be here. I mean, let, let's get our priorities straight just a little bit, shall we? Okay. Our shepherd story. Um, the idea that we have the same reaction and we are privileged to get the same information that the shepherds did. I mean, when you get right down to it, if you look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11, 12, 13, and 14, you see that part of the reason why we shouldn't be surprised that shepherds out in the field watching their flocks by night would receive the pronouncement. Shepherds didn't really have a whole lot of stature in God's economy, or not in God's economy, but in Jesus's day. And yet Titus 2.11 says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And I realize that at Christmas time, sometimes folks will say, well, yeah, here come the Christian, the Christmas and Easter, uh, the chicken and egg, the CDs, whatever you want to call them, people. And we try to keep them entertained, but we don't really preach them the gospel, which begs the question, why? Why would you water down this message? I mean, there are people wandering around the world today, trying desperately to figure themselves out. Uh, the, the older I get, the more crazy I see the laws, like the passage of the so-called Disrespect for Marriage Act and, 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 and see how uh, Christianity is being marginalized in the culture. I could be frustrated. It is kind of frustrating at times. But at the same time, it, 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 it breaks my heart. I mean, it really is. It saddens me. I uh, had a listener a couple weeks ago sent me an email about the Raphael Warnock versus... Uh, Herschel Walker thing and said, hey, do you have any idea what kind of person Herschel Walker is? And I said, yeah, basically my response to that is, yeah, yeah, I do. But do you have any idea how much it must break God's heart to see a guy who is ordained in ministry who will stand in the pulpit and actively recruit people to murder babies in the womb? I'm not saying one is any better than the other. This whataboutism isn't the way to go. But those are our choices here in this life. You know, I mean, this really is, you're looking for the bread of life and living water and the world offers you two different types of fast food and sometimes you're hungry and you have to pick the one that isn't going to hurt you the worst, you know? I mean, th- th- this is, let, let's not try to Christianize the political world. Rather, let's be salt and light and say, if these are the options, these are the options. But we can't forget that the gift of salvation, the grace of God has appeared and all have been offered salvation. So the question is not a question of people saying, why did God turn his back on him or her or whatever? Well, we love because he first loved us, but he rejects those who reject him, who walk away from him. I mean, salvation turns us away from worldly passions and it points us toward eternity. Look at the very next verse in Titus chapter 2, verse 12. If God's salvation 
does in fact teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You will know the people who are truly of the Lord by the way they act, by the way they handle themselves. I, I have to admit that the, uh, the older I get, it is tougher and tougher for me to, uh, to not be hypercritical of myself or of people. I, I want to be more gracious. And so I find myself kind of getting pulled in, in two different directions. You know, on the one hand, uh, wanting to be more, be more gracious and loving and maybe a little more understanding and accepting of certain things. But in other cases, kind of getting cantankerous and get off my lawn, you know, type of thing. You know, it's interesting, though, because what we have to own up to, if you will, is that apart from Christ, there's no way anyone can be transformed from unholy to holy. The gift of salvation is available to everyone. But God welcomes special people to join him in eternity. This is what Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says. The one who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own is eager to do what is good. Redeem from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. We are... God's chosen people, those who have uh, given their hearts to him. We gave our hearts to him simply because he prompted us to do it. I'm not saying he Jedi mind tricked us, <laughs> but the gift of salvation is a result of the gift of faith and acting upon it. We are special people. And so when you think about the special people, I, I like the, the way that uh, uh, Titus phrases this here or that is phrased in Titus chapter 2. Uh, the King James Version says, uh, Purify us as a special people for himself, a people eager for all fine works. The word for special here, the special people, if you will, in the Greek, uh, perisonius, literally means reserved for. Now, you might think, okay, well, that sounds really nice and really special. I think that it's nice to be included in that group. But basically, it was a term that was used in Jesus' day uh, for a king who goes to battle against another king in that king's empire. And the conquering king would then uh, basically say, okay, well, to the victor get the spoils. I'm going to take the land and the people and the candle, uh, the, excuse me, animals. I wanted to say the cattle and animals together, and it came out cannibals. But basically, I want the spoils here for me. We conquered all these people and all this land and all this stuff, so that belongs to the empire, but I want this special part set aside for me. So when you look at the characters in the Christmas story, as it were, think of them as, I mean, God always had his chosen people, the Jews in Israel, up until Jesus coming in. Now, the new Israel, as uh, Chad Bird at uh, 1517 would say, and G uh, Steve uh, Gregg at Narrow Path would say, the new Israel, if you will, is Jesus, and all who are in Jesus are now God's chosen people. So for people to say, well, what about Israel? Israel plays a special role in history, which it does, and that's for another conversation. But understand, of course, that there is no replacement theology, per se, where American Christians have replaced uh, you know, Middle Eastern Jews as God's chosen people. Rather, it's Old Covenant, New Covenant. 
And Jesus saying, I'm in Luke 22, 15, I'm eager to celebrate the Passover with you. It's him saying, hey, I want this badly. I mean, and he takes a term, ironically, that was typically used about some, for something that you coveted, something that you weren't supposed to want. So for Jesus to speak that word and to say, I am eager, I've eagerly desired to celebrate the Passover with you, this is a huge deal that he's doing for us at Easter when the redemption plan comes into full effect. Here, basically Titus is saying, hey, look back on that thing. This gift is available to everyone who God sets aside as special. The ones who will be cleansed, washed in the blood of the lamb and will be special unto him. So now the question you have to ask is, well, who are the special people, the first very special people apart from God's chosen people? Who did God choose to be special people? Well, think of them. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds. I mean, they were all special people and they heard from God. Well, what made them all that special, you might be wondering. Well, we'll take a list. We'll take a look at a list of their uh, qualifications for being special people on the other side of this break. As the bottom line continues, when you're injured in an accident, you just want to be treated like a human being. But when you are denied what you need to make a quick and full recovery, it can feel dehumanizing. Stephanie Cover puts her clients total healing first, and that means fighting for a settlement that respects you as a human being. The insurance companies don't necessarily care about why you need a settlement, but they know that it means they will lose money. Stephanie will stand up for a dollar amount that values your life and the full process of your complete restoration. Even when the insurance companies are doing their best not to pay you, you have a leg up because Stephanie Cover used to work for those same insurance companies. Getting you well positioned for your full physical, financial, and spiritual recovery is Stephanie's goal in working with you. Save her number now or call 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Then fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover. she knows the other side. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. You know, every now and again, Christmas Eve or coming up on Easter or whatever, a major holiday. Sometimes Pastor Roger takes over the program, and uh, that's what's happening today as we're devoting the first hour of our Good News Friday to the beginning of the good news, which is the birth of Christ. It's the culmination of this Advent season, and because of the life that he lived on earth and the, 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 the work that he did on the cross uh, with our Easter celebration, as it were, the Resurrection Day, uh, then ascending into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And so that's the second Advent that we also celebrate this time of year. But we're talking about the shepherd story that each of us has to hear the good news proclaimed to us about the birth of Christ and what it means to us as our Savior has come. And then the calling that each of us has, our own shepherd story, if you will. I was talking before the break about how Titus chapter 2 uh, we, we read about the special people that God has set aside for himself, and Paul uses a word uh, in, the, in the writing to Titus where the, the, the term uh, in the Greek literally refers to the, there is plunder that is taken from a, a, a victorious uh, battle that a king would engage in against another empire, but then there's the spoils, if you will, that the king says, save that for me, and that's the term that Paul uses to describe anyone who God has set apart for himself. The gift of salvation is available to all who will repent, but the ones who do, God says, those are my special people. Well, the first special people we read about in Scripture are Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, right? 
So you might be asking the question, what made Mary and Joseph so special? And the short answer is, not much. (laughs) I mean, they were poor. They were simple. We know there's nothing really remarkable about them. I mean, quite frankly, when we look at the crash, the manger sequence there, and we see the figurines of Mary and Joseph and camels and, you know, baby Jesus in the manger, um, if you had seen, we hold that as a big deal because that's the way we've been taught. We know what the scriptures say about this. But if you had been out in Bethlehem that night, walked right by, you would have just kept on walking. Oh, that poor family. It's so cold out here. They got stuck in the, uh, in the manger. Oh, if it was cold in July when this probably actually happened. You wouldn't have given him a second look. But because the angel Gabriel came to Mary and the angel Gabriel came to Joseph and basically said, you know, here's the deal. You are special. Mary most highly favored. And the whole bit in Luke chapter one about the, the spirit of the Lord hovering, overshadowing her. It's the same term. That term in the Greek is the same term in Hebrew that you see in the Genesis account of uh, chapter one of the book of Genesis, where you know the earth was formless and void and God's kind of hovering over before he starts his creation. He's separating darkness from light and sky from land and that type of thing. It's the same word. So God is overshadowing Mary. And so when Gabriel speaks to her, her response is, how can this be? For I'm a virgin. It's not a question of, what do you mean this is going on? I'm 16. I mean, I still have my whole life ahead of me. Like, totally for sure, I'm not doing this. That, that's not what she says. Joseph has the same response. Joseph, you're going to find out Mary's pregnant. Don't divorce her. And basically, he has the same deal. That makes them special because the gift of faith has been placed upon their hearts. So where do the shepherds come in? I mean, in Jesus' day, uh, the rabbis, I mean, the Jewish leaders basically said the shepherds are outcasts. I mean, here's the part where, I mean, yeah, you raise the lambs for sacrifice or whatever, but you're ceremonially unclean because you're with the animals all the time. So for all intents and purposes, the shepherds really don't have any say, especially not in the church, but even in society. Well, Mary sees one angel, Joseph encounters one angel, but the shepherds are then approached by a multitude of the heavenly host. Why? What made them so special? Well, this one takes a little bit more explanation. And so I encourage you to stay with us through the break as we have our Good News Friday edition of Christmas Eve Eve here on the Bottom Line Show. And I encourage you, if you have a chance to get in fellowship and worship this year, I know the past couple of years have been tough because of pandemic and some people have been a little hesitant, but it's pretty much all the Ali Oxen free this year. I highly recommend that you find a place to worship or to head to your regular place of worship, or maybe you and your family can find one of the houses of worship that you all like to worship at and spend that time contemplating how special Mary and Joseph were how special the shepherds were, but how special you are too. Special and precious in God's sight. He treats us so well, starting with the gift of the birth of his son and allowing us to look upon the face of God and not die, but instead to find everlasting life. We're going to continue this shepherd story in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we are taking this next segment here to take a look at Christmas Eve Eve, as it were, and today being the 23rd of December. Hope you have a chance to uh, worship the Lord, celebrate his birth with your friends and family. And I encourage you to, I've I've been saying this all week, but uh, knowing that Christmas Eve is on a Saturday and Christmas Day is on a Sunday, I know there's a cultural temptation 
to say Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, Sunday morning, we're not going to church. If your church is holding worship service, and I pray that they are, please worship the Lord on his day. The presence can wait or go to that 11 o'clock service or, hey, pastor, why don't I have the service at three in the afternoon if that's the way it's got to be? But I, I highly recommend that don't let the culture dictate the way you celebrate. Celebrate the way you should. We celebrate the glory of the newborn king. And I'm taking a look here at Titus chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 9, and then, of course, the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, the first 20 verses there. As we see us as receivers of the good news of the gospel, there's sin in the world. We are born sinful into a fallen world. We are separated from God because of that sin. But on that Christmas night, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the birth of Jesus Christ. Wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger in Bethlehem, there was no room in the inn, but quite frankly, even that, the symbolism of Jesus not having a welcome place to go, so being a nomad in this uh, culture that we live in, and um, and also kind of being a uh, one who would stand up against the Jewish tradition and help them see there's a new covenant in town, a new place. You know, the gift of God is available to all people, and that's the, the beauty. I mean, uh, glory to God in the highest and on earth, uh, peace, goodwill toward all people. I mean, the gift of God is available to all. We see this in Titus 2.11. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Verse 12, God's salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. It does turn us away from the worldly passions. It points us toward eternity. But when you think about people who are trying to have the best of both worlds, you know, I want heaven, I want everything that God has to offer, but I also want the worldly passions too. So does Jesus have to be my Lord exclusively? I think we've seen over the past five to 10 years, especially over the last two to three, how many people who have, you know, kind of claimed the name of Jesus really aren't necessarily living that way. I mean, apart from Christ, transformation like this is impossible, but the gift of salvation is available to all and God welcomes everyone who receives that gift as a special person to join him in eternity. In Titus 2.4, uh, we see the King James Version renders it this way, uh, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us as a special people for himself, a people eager for all fine works. The Greek word there, uh, parousios, literally means reserved for, it's a military term. And it means that uh, when the king would do battle with another kingdom, the victorious king, of course, would take the plunder. They'd take the land and, you know, the animals and other soldiers were into captivity. And uh, it, it was, you know, that was just the, the rules of engagement. But then the king would look at all the plunder and say, wait a minute, that gold I want for me. Those cattle I want for me. That, 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 this is what I want for me. And that term, parousias, literally means reserved for the king. And that's the term Paul uses to describe the fact that we who have been born into a wicked state in a sinful fallen world, when you receive the gift of faith that enables you to receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? You become one of those special people. And I like it. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. Now, we think of the first special people. I mean, because the Jews were God's chosen people, but Jesus becomes the new Israel. Now there's a new covenant. We're going to see that 33 years later. But for our purposes right now, who are those first special people? Well, the good news is, well, they're Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. And if you're wondering what made Mary and Joseph special people, <laughs> not much. 
poor, simple people. I mean, the kind of folks that you would have walked right past in the marketplace would not give them a second look. But remember when the angel Gabriel, Gabriel appeared to Mary and tells Mary what's going to happen to her? She's a teenager. She's a virgin. She's not been with a man. There's, she knows how babies are formed, and she knows there's no way a baby can be formed naturally in her body. But when she asks, how can this be? Was it Luke 138? She says, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. She's not saying, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. No, 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 I'm going to college. No, 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 you can't. I'm a strong, independent woman. That's not going to happen. And oftentimes, I think some modern theologians lose sight of that. They're like, yeah, look at Mary. Boy, she really took things on for herself. No, everything Mary does is in that one phrase where Gabriel says to her, the Holy Spirit of the Lord will overshadow you. That term for overshadowing in the Greek is the same term in Hebrew for God hovering over the waters in the creation story. He's about to do something wonderful. And so Mary is basically not saying, hey, you can't do this to me. She's saying, wait, how could this be? She's already in. That answer tells us that she is all in on this by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, God bless her for carrying the Christ child, but I don't want to say she didn't have a choice, but the Holy Spirit was strong with that one. Same thing with Joseph. Gabriel shows to Joseph in a dream and says, you know what? You're going to find out Mary's pregnant. Do not divorce her. Because they were engaged at an engagement. Betrothal was about a one-year process. It was a legally binding contract. Because of infidelity, she would always be the bad person, and he could have divorced her. He didn't do it. Well, Mary got an angel visit, and Joseph got an angel visit. But the shepherds got a whole, they got a multitude of the heavenly hosts visiting them. What made them special? Well, in God's economy, they were special. But in the world's economy, not so much. I mean, when you get into ceremonial cleanliness and uncleanliness and that that type of thing, the rabbis of Jesus' day basically said, hey, look, shepherds, you're outcast. You'll never be clean. You can't come worship with us. I mean, as a matter of fact, they were so devalued that if they were brought into Jewish court for having committed a crime, if they shared testimony trying to defend one of their brothers or sisters, or if they were brought up on charges, no one would pay attention to their, they had no value in court. No one would listen to their testimony. So who does God bring this great message to? (laughs) Ironically, and kind of musical humor here, the ones who had no voice in the culture, God gives them a song to sing. And that song is glory to God in the highest and on earth peace upon whom his favor rests. Now, what's interesting about this is the shepherds come to Bethlehem and see Christ the Lord, the newborn king. You know the song, right? Angels we have heard on high. When the shepherds come, they're coming to see because God told them what to see. They're not thinking, hey, if any pharisees or any jewish leaders ask us what we've seen they're not going to believe us anyway but we know what we saw we know what we heard and they go to see the christ child they come and they leave their labor and they come and they see just as they were told a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger now it's kind of unusual because you typically didn't see babies in a manger, that little hay trough where the donkeys would feed. I mean, you don't really think about that being a uh, 
uh, a, a place that uh, royalty would be, let alone just a human baby. It is interesting, as some writers have pointed out, that Jesus came into this world with uh, you know, wood on his back and left this world physically, having been nailed to a wooden cross. The fact that he was with the animals and the lowest of the low and a couple of simple people who wound up getting married and doing what God told them to do out of obedience. And the first message of the good news was proclaimed by those who literally didn't have a voice in society. But there are some things about the shepherds and their vocation and the condition they found Jesus in that are worth noting. I want to get into those on the other side of this break, and then we'll talk about our shepherd story and how we can probably relate to the shepherds a lot more than we ever thought we possibly could. Let's do that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Bless your children with the help you've always wanted to give them. Newport Bay Mortgage works with your unique circumstances to explain the benefits of a reverse mortgage in today's market. Act now and provide for your family in need by gifting them a fraction of the fruits of your labor. With Newport Bay Mortgage, you can clarify the advantages of a reverse mortgage in your specific situation with professional insights on the current market. Sharing the rewards of a reverse mortgage is a valuable act of service that helps your loved ones establish valuable financial security for the future. Use the gift from your home to contribute towards God's work and plans by blessing your family in need with real financial help. Make up your mind today to make a difference in the lives of those who mean the most to you. Start by calling Newport Bay Mortgage at 714-741-8080, 714-741-8080. Visit kbrightradio.com slash reverse or NMLS 332959. Newport Bay Mortgage is an equal opportunity housing lender. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and so grateful to have you along here. It's Christmas Eve Eve, and so we have dedicated this segment of the program to just talking about the good news of the birth of Christ and how we as Christians can fully appreciate that uh, beautiful, wonderful, spectacular gift simply by acknowledging the fact that the shepherds were given a song to sing, the shepherds have a story to tell, and quite frankly, we have a shepherd's story to share as well. Now, I mentioned earlier that we see uh, the fact that uh, all of chapter one of Luke's gospel talks about, well, some other things, not all of chapter one, but uh, the bulk of chapter one talks about the angel Gabriel showing up to Mary and, and giving her the good news that she would be carrying uh, the Christ child. And she responds with her Magnificat, which is a beautiful response for any person of faith. And then Joseph to be informed that Mary's going to have a child, but ordinarily, customarily, that would mean he would divorce her, but uh, the angel says, don't do that. And then the multitude of the heavenly host approach the shepherds and tell them, go to Bethlehem and see uh, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. And they go. And this is the most marginalized group of the Jewish culture. So much so that if they ever had to come into Jewish court and stand before the, the Pharisees, Sanhedrin, what would happen? Nothing. Not for them anyway. They, they would be ruled for or against on the testimony of others, but their words had no validity. Well, their words may have had no validity in Jewish court, but now their song is going to be the first testimony of the birth of Christ that we hear. Why did God do this? Well, this is interesting. Think about this for just a moment. They go to see the Christ child wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. It's interesting because Luke uses this term. It's a medical term the term swaddling. It was used for a couple different reasons. 
Uh, first and foremost, when it came to uh, lamb, oftentimes the uh, the limbs were wrapped up in a cloth like uh, what we would call a swaddling cloth because the idea was to help the limbs grow straight. But go a little bit deeper with me and find out that some of the shepherds who had no voice in Jewish culture were also called and charged with the responsibility of raising what we would refer to as the sacrificial lamb or the sacrificial limbs, the ones that would be presentable without blemish or defect as sacrifices under the Lord. Remember in Genesis 30, uh, Jacob had that rather odd, he's had the, having that little battle with Laban, his father-in-law, and he wants to uh, make sure that they have an even split of you know what the, the property and everything. And so Jacob gets into his little breeding program where he is, he says, Look, I'll tell you what, all the spotted and striped uh, lambs, so that, that part, that those will be mine and the other ones are going to be yours. And then he starts going about <laughs> and taking the bark and the branches and putting them on the coats and dipping them in the water, doing everything he can to make sure he can produce as many of those as he possibly can. Well, in the culture, when it came to the sacrificial lamb, the sacrificial lambs had to be ones that were perfect, that had no spot, no defect, no blemish whatsoever. Because, you know, let's face it, our human tendency would be to say, look, if we have to sacrifice an animal, we're going to find a blind one. We're going to find one that's deaf. We're going to find one that can't really walk all that well because we want the healthy ones to reproduce and be a good farmer, you know, uh, farming equipment, if you will, for us. That's what we as human selfish people would like to do. But God says, no, bring me your best. You know, bring me the first fruits from the storehouse. Bring me the best bunches of grapes, the best grain and the best wheat. Bring, bring me the best of the best to sacrifice in the temple. Don't just bring me your beat up stuff and do not bring a wounded animal. So think about that. First and foremost, any shepherd would use a cloth around the legs of the, the lamb to make sure the lamb could stand up straight because in all honesty, you've seen the way lambs are built. They're built kind of funny. I mean, they're built kind of like old New York City apartment radiators, right? I mean, tiny little feet and big bulky bodies and then all that wool and those tiny little you know thing, ears on their heads. And I mean, that, that whole thing about the Lord is my shepherd, he anointeth my head with oil, the... the, the to keep the flies off, that's what the shepherds had to do because the lamb, if you think about it, has no way of scratching his head. But the sacrificial lambs, they took that swaddling cloth thing a bit further. The lamb was born and not only would they wrap up the limbs to make sure the limbs grew straight, they'd wrap up the entire body of the lamb. Why? Because as Jacob showed us, if that lamb brushed up against something, it would be marked, it would be blemished, it might potentially hurt itself and, and and lambs and i say this in all love and respect sheep are not exactly smart animals so you could see a lamb brushing up against a rock or against a tree or something like that getting marked up and potentially bruised so the shepherds who raised the sacrificial lambs would not only wrap the limbs to make sure they would go, grow straight and strong but they would wrap up the lamb for the lamb's protection so that there would be no blemish so there would be no bruise. There would be no marking on there whatsoever. Now, we think often about, you know, a baby, a newborn baby's born, and we just wrap them up, you know, and do that. But the swaddling cloths that Jesus is, or that uh, that Luke is talking about for us here is more of a, like I said, it's a, it's a medical type of term. It's not just a, hey, someone give me a baby blanket. 
you think about it, Mary and Joseph didn't have a lot of means. They basically would not have thought anything other than Mary would try to keep the baby warm, maybe in her own garment. She certainly would not have had swaddling cloths with her because they weren't carrying a bunch of animals with them, and they certainly weren't raising sacrificial lambs. But who was? When you think about how special the shepherds were in this story, God literally singles them out. Here comes this, a multitude of the heavenly host means too many angels to count. Mary and Joseph got an angel each. It was the same angel. The shepherds got the multitude of the heavenly hosts. When you hear Handel's Messiah being sung by a church choir with two, three, four hundred voices, imagine that on steroids for the song that was being sung. To shepherds! Because God called them special. Parosinus. God said, I am separating you for my purpose. You will be the first to hear the good news that the Savior has come. Christ the Lord is born in Bethlehem. Go see it and then go go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ was born. Now think about this for just a, a moment and especially in the world that we live in and the times that we're living in right now. We live in something uh, that uh, the world often refers to as the cancel culture, right? Uh, my buddy, uh, colleague, uh, Joe Dallas, has written a book that's become very popular. Uh, Joe's done ministry for three, four decades, helping people in with unwanted same-sex attraction come out of that lifestyle with Genesis Biblical Counseling. And he recently, about a year or so ago, wrote a book called uh, Christians in a Cancel Culture about how do we in the body of Christ stand up to the culture that's trying to cancel Christianity. Well, first and foremost, I know this is, it's of little comfort if you're potentially losing your job or, uh, you know, (laughs) getting hassled by your neighbors or whatever. The light of Christ will never be overcome. The darkness cannot over, scientifically darkness cannot overcome light. You could have the largest, darkest, most horrible stretch of dark around. And one tiny light is now visible to everybody who is within a, uh, an eyewitness account of that light. If you think about the plagues during with Moses and Pharaoh and the plague of darkness, can you imagine how dark it had to be? Because even when we say, wow, it's the darkest night you've ever seen, if there's one tiny little star way up high, that light will pierce through that darkness and you'll, your eye will be drawn to the light. So when you think about, you know, how how special this moment is and the fact that the culture had been trying to cancel out, Herod tried to cancel Jesus, tried to kill him. I mean, this, this is nothing new what we're going through. But it is kind of amazing to think about how the birth of Christ leads us to the ultimate shepherd story. But then what does it say about you and me? What does it say about our faith? I'm going to take a quick break and on the other side of it, I want to help us unpack something about why Christmas is so important to celebrate, why it's so special. And now more than ever before, how you may be hearing a lot of voices that are coming at you for your faith. Friends, family members saying, oh, that's a bunch of poppycock. We're going to make it illegal. We're going to, we're going to change the law. So we're going to redefine biblical uh, traditions and biblical foundational relationships and then make it illegal for you to tell us that we're wrong. But stand firm in the truth, brothers and sisters, because you have a shepherd's story to tell as well. 
And on the other side of this break, I want to tell you what it is and why it's important for you to tell it. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, Dennis Wilson is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, 800-696-9970, or go to wilson-financial.com. There are a lot of people who have been really taking a bath when it comes to stocks this year. Stock market off 25% in some segments. But yet you have a new program that's really designed to help somebody in that situation earn some of that loss back. It's obviously designed to do exactly that. It's a very limited offer on a 16% guaranteed return on your account in an account that in the next two years can never go down. It is a great vehicle to help people who have lost money because of the way the market is. But there is a time limit, is there not, Dennis Wilson? People have to act now. The 4th of January, you have an additional, I think, 30 or 60 days to get the funds in because some of these IRA accounts take a while to move. But yes, the initial application and declaration that you want to start the account needs to be signed by 1423. Well, this is a golden opportunity. Go to wilson-financial.com, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and since today is Christmas Eve Eve, uh, we are taking a look at the story of the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, and um, obviously the birth in chapter 2, but the kind of preamble, if you will, in chapter 1. And then focusing on our attention on something I like to call the shepherd story. And why the shepherd story is, I mean, obviously there's a story that the shepherds tell, but why it's important for us to put ourselves in that story. Oftentimes we'll see that Christmas pageant and there's a young girl playing Mary and a young boy playing Joseph and someone just had a kid and they they play baby Jesus and somebody else has little children around and they have become angels or donkeys or, you know, whatever it is. And we, we think it's very, very cute. But the reality is what happened that night was so holy and had had a holy impact on everyone from Mary and Joseph and, of course, baby Jesus and the wise men who got there a year and a half later and the shepherds. But this is where you and I, brothers and sisters, can see ourselves in this story. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee. Worship Christ, the newborn king. That song is for you And that song is for me. It's for everyone who has, by faith, received the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The shepherds were not special people in the world's eyes, even in the eyes of the Jews. They didn't have a voice in the Jewish courts. But God said they were special. In the same way, parosinus, the Greek uh, term for when the king does battle with another king and vanquishes his opponent and then starts take counting up all the plunder that they get because they they won the battle and says I'm taking a couple of these things for myself you're going to be my special servant and this animal is going to provide a meal for us and whatever it is it's going to be and so even though the Pharisees didn't see the shepherds as anything special God said oh yeah this is where I'm starting this it's Mary and Joseph were obedient the Christ child is being born by the power of the Holy Spirit and you shepherds You shepherds who ordinarily would tend the flocks that would ultimately grow up to become sacrificial lambs. If anyone understands what a blemish or unblemished lamb looks like, it's you. And the multitude of the heavenly host came and encouraged them and equipped them to go see the Christ child and then tell people what they saw. Knowing full well that the Jewish leaders would say, they're crazy, what they say doesn't mean anything. But more and more people would hear. See, God is constantly taking the people that the world says have no value. The world says doesn't have a platform. They're not influencers. 
and instead says, you take this message to all people. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to all people. Goodwill to all people is available, but there's a way you get the goodwill. You can't just say, peace to you, brothers, goodwill. But what does James tell us? If you see somebody who's hungry or they're cold or whatever, you don't just walk past them and say, be warm and well-fed, keep on walking. You have to do something about their temporal situation. In the same way that Paul reminds us in Titus, hey, guess what? The gift of God is available to all. Salvation is available to everyone. But if you heard it from him, you might not believe it. If you heard it from a Pharisee, you might not believe it. If you heard it from a pastor or a priest, you might not believe it. But God went to those who had been marginalized the worst, were the lowest of the low, and said, you get the most important message of all time to share with people, and that is that Jesus Christ is born this day. The Son of God is here. God's plan of salvation and redemption has come. It has begun. And I know you're not going to believe it, but you'll see it. You are a special gift of God from God to the people of God. Don't forget that this Christmas. Doesn't matter what your situation is right now. Doesn't matter what kind of discrimination you're facing because of your faith. It doesn't matter how many relationships have been fractured. You might be preparing to celebrate Christmas kind of by yourself even because maybe there's some disagreement between you and people in your family. I pray for reconciliation, I pray for healing, but please stand strong in knowing what the truth is. If you recognize the shepherd's story that God has given you to tell, go tell it. Go tell it on the mountain, over the fields and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Salvation has come and the free gift is available to all who will believe that Jesus is the Son of God that his death on the cross pays the penalty for your sin and my sin, and that his resurrection power is the same one that we experience and will experience for all eternity. That's the good news of Christmas, and that is the bottom line. For those who remain on the network, we've got a great conversation coming up next. Trisha Goyer is going to talk about the chaotic circumstances of life and how to have a happy heart and stay centered in God's love through chaotic circumstances. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and of course, it is Christmas Eve Eve, December 23rd. Got a great half hour here for you to wrap up the show, especially if you have had problems during the holidays with the crazy, chaotic, hectic schedule of life, uh, keeping you from really enjoying, enjoying the, uh, the real reason for the season. Uh, not too long ago, I had a chance to talk to author and speaker Trisha Goyer about a book that she's written on how to maintain uh, that right kind of attitude through the middle of chaos and everything like that. I want to share it with you again today here on the day before Christmas Eve here on the special Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to talk about what it takes to stay happy and not necessarily happy in the sense that, you know, everything around you is going perfect and everything's going, you know, great. Quite the opposite. In fact, I mean, let's face it, if you've got the kind of schedule that a lot of people are dealing with and post pandemic, who's not still dealing with some of those things, the world's moving quicker and uh, there's a lot of chaos, but there's a way that you can actually live centered in God's love. And today here on the Bottom Line Show, I'm joined by, of course, our My Hope Now audience can already see it's Trisha Goyer, a US, USA Today bestselling author. She's authored more than 75 books 
500 articles and a two-time Carol Award winner. She has a brand new book out that I love the title of and I love the concept and I can't wait to dig in with her a little bit deeper on this. It's called Heart Happy, Staying Centered in God's Love Through Chaotic Circumstances. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Trisha Goyer, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, it is great being here. I always love talking to you. Likewise, and it's fun to see you too. And because we're, now we're you know we're getting high tech here at broadcasting <laughs> and doing our little Zoom chats, which is great. And it must be fun for you, hopefully, to be on the receiving end of the interview because I know you're doing some podcasting as well. What's it like to kind of dig into other people's work with the podcast that you host? Oh, it's so fun because you know then I get to be the one to ask the questions and really go deeper. And I think when we read books and we come across books, we always have these questions in the back of our mind. So I just mm-hmm. love being able to dig in there and ask those questions. Yeah, you, you get to be every man or every woman, and that's exactly. a lot of fun. Well, now it's my turn to ask you questions, so hold okay. on. <laughs> Let, let's talk, what was the genesis of this? There's always, I mean, you and your husband are raising 10 kids. I mean, you've got so much going on. And I think the last time we spoke may have been the, the grumble-free year or whatever, which I thought yeah, was, probably, a huge, yeah. was a huge endeavor. Um, with everything that we've been through in the past couple of years now here in the culture, um, a lot of people are facing the stress and some of that stress is still following them, even though life's getting back to normal. What was the genesis for this book? You know, when I was thinking about what I wanted to write, I was first going to write a book about hospitality and opening your home and inviting in your neighbors. And then the pandemic and that book <laughs> yep. completely got shelved um, mm-hmm. in the middle of, you know, everyone's having to stay home and Uh, We homeschool, but it was different, too, because we weren't able to do the activities. So we have a house full of people wanting to do stuff, wanting to get out. And it was also during that time that one of our teens was really struggling. Um, We have adopted uh, seven kids. And so she turned 17 and she didn't want to be here, want to be with her biological mom. And I just remember being so overwhelmed. And often there was times I find myself almost in the fetal position on the floor, Mm. like I am overwhelmed. I can't do this. Like, how can I? I keep going when we have one of our kids that definitely doesn't even want to be here and she's just just this fight is going on and I remember going to God's word and it's like okay I need to find happiness in him the happiness is not going to come with the finished laundry with uh, the kids behaving with everyone loving our home it's going to come from getting my heart happy in the Lord and I actually came through uh, came to a quote by George Mueller and he lived about a hundred years ago he opened orphanages and had tens of thousands of kids um, that he was taking care of. And he said, before I get busy with my day, I make sure my heart is happy in the Lord. I read the scripture. I pray God's word. And then I realize that God is with me in my day and just starting to do that on a regular team. You know, I always had quiet time and devotional time, but really just sitting there with God, realizing how much he loves me, realizing how much he's for me impacted every part of my day and I started noticing and my kids started noticing it really came from that transformation that happened inside my heart. Trisha Goyer is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and that is going to make anyone's heart happy just during her testimony. The book is called Heart Happy, Staying Centered in God's Love Through Chaotic Circumstances. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Where do we start? I mean, there's got to be a ground zero for this, because when you talk about happiness, a lot of people would say, "Okay, well, I'm going to look for it where I find it. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the, the Mueller quote is great because 
it's about God. But at the same time, when you were talking about this book on hospitality, my introvert's heart said, oh, wow, please don't make me read that. I don't know. <laughs> That's one of the things that I really wrestled with in pastoral ministry was how could you do pastoral mm -hmm. ministry and not feel that compulsion to be hospitable that would not make my heart happy but let's let's walk through you know what you were able to uh lay out for us not that this is a recipe for guaranteed success but rather some principles that we could start adapting yeah i think one thing is going to what that word happy means and in uh, the bible a lot of times it's also translated blessed and mm -hmm. so happy is the man who walks in the lord blessed is the man who walks in the lord so i think sometimes we think happy is I just went on a new vacation, I went on a vacation, I got a new car, I lost 10 pounds. And so it's that external. But when you look at that word, it's actually Escher, and it means walking God's way. So when mm. we are walking God's way, when we are blessed, we are happy, we are doing the things he asked. And it's also then looking and seeing how God created us and nurturing our souls. You know, so many times our calendars are full. We're completely running from one thing to another, and we're not taking time to nurture our soul. So, of course, quiet time can be one thing, but what other things can bring you joy? Think about like when you were a child. I loved reading. I would get caught away in Nancy Drew mysteries. I also drew all the time. I always had a little notepad. Mm. And so actually during the pandemic, I ordered watercolor paints and I would <laughs> sit there you. and like, okay, all you people, you're watching a movie, but I'm just going to sit in here and I'm going to watercolor. And I think so many times we need to realize like God created us for a purpose. He created us even things that nurture our soul. Like I would not want to go to a mall and go shopping. That just right. drains me. But mm -hmm. sitting there reading a book or watercolor painting nurtures my soul and so it's really looking at how God created us and how we can feed our soul cutting out a lot of those things in the calendar to take time to connect with God and to do things which he created us to do do you think social media has made it worse in terms of the things that we think we need to do versus th the things we need to do? I mean, it sounds like, Trisha, if I if I may, even though you got a house full of kids and, and you're a writer, speaker, podcaster, you sound like an outgoing introvert to me because the I, fact that you like, <laughs> right? Same thing. You know, people go, how can you get up in front of people and you could do the radio program? And then at the end of the day, it's like, I do need a nap. I really honestly do. But it seems like in the social media world, even when you try to retreat and you try to get away from all the clutter, next thing you know, you're zombie scrolling and you're wondering why your house doesn't look like everybody on Pinterest or whatever. I mean, do, do you think that's been a factor? I think so. Yeah, I think we're always comparing our weaknesses to other people's strengths. Mm -hmm. And so I see these like, organic meals and I see these families going on long walks up in the woods and mm -hmm. we aren't doing those things and right today, today my kitchen is a mess my we were given some hand-me-down clothes for one of my sons my living room has all these clothes spread over it. I'm trying to homeschool my kids <laughs> and I really had this moment of tension of like this house is such a disaster and I told myself it'll be okay. This is just today. We'll get through the clothes, the kitchen will get clean. And I have to tell myself that this is ordinary life. And when we're always looking at someone's perfect kitchen um, or someone's perfect living room or perfect writing desk or whatever it is, we do feel that comparison and we feel like we aren't doing enough. And then we get so overwhelmed that we just can't do anything. We yeah. just can't uh, go on. And I say that comparison is really, really hard. And it takes stepping back and saying, this is ordinary life. I have, we have eight people living in our house right now. It's going to be a mess. There's going to be challenges, but it's okay. And I remember one moment clearly as I'm working on this book, 
the pile of laundry, all the things. And as I'm just feeling so overwhelmed, I felt God saying, I love you just as much. Mm. I love you just as much if the laundry is done and the laundry is not done. If you made a great dinner or you served your family hot dogs or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, like <laughs> I love you just as much. And resting our hearts in the love of God and saying, it's okay. I am loved. God has a good plan for my day. Then we stop comparing and we could look to his face and see what he thinks of us instead of comparing what we think of others and other people. I mean, I've done it before where you push all the stuff to the side and then take your picture mm-hmm. that yeah. you want to display <laughs> on social media. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. I, wow. I often wonder when I see it one time, I, my wife and I were at a, an amusement park here locally and we watched we were getting something to eat. So we had some time to kill. And we watched these two girls spend 20 minutes trying to come up with the perfect spontaneous <laughs> selfie. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, <laughs> I thought to myself, wow, I wouldn't have spent that much time back in the day. But nowadays, everything that we're trying to make look perfect for five hundredths of a second or however long that is. And you don't know what's pushed. Well, I don't want to show you what's on the other side of my camera here in my office, because I think I'm an abstract random person. So I know all, I know what all the piles are. I know yes. where all the clutter is. And it makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, Trisha Goyer is my guest today here on the bottom line, a delightful conversation, uh, a happy conversation, if I may, about her brand new book called Heart happy, staying centered in God's love through chaotic circumstances. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com, hit the Preborn banner right now. Trisha Goyer is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, author, speaker, uh, podcaster, 75 books and counting. The latest is called Heart Happy, Staying Centered in God's Love Through Chaotic Circumstances. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Trisha, during the break, I, I loved what you were saying, every word of it in terms of how do we get our heart happy? Well, it's mm-hmm. when you're walking with the Lord, when you're walking obediently with him, when you realize, you know, the yoke that he made just for you is a perfect fit. So all you have to do is walk in it and it's going to work. But I realize there are probably some people who are hearing our conversation right now, and I'm glad you alluded to this during the uh, break, where they'll look at that and say, okay, that's easy for you because it sounds like you're dealing with the chaos of the right now, you know, what's right in front of you. And we haven't really touched on yet. Well, what about the things that might be making your heart unhappy because they happened a while ago, either something that you did or something that happened to you Mm -hmm. and you haven't really been able to get the healing, reconciliation, whatever it is you're looking for. Talk about how you can stay centered in God's love when the chaotic circumstances are things that you've been carrying with you for a while. 
Yeah, and that is so much of my story. And I start the book on that because I want to be happy in God. I know there's all this stuff going on as I'm sitting before God. I'm realizing like this doesn't just have to deal with today. It has to deal with things that happened a while ago, like little pains that have been there a while that's almost festering. One of those things is when I was 15, I chose to have an abortion. Mm. I went to the wrong clinic, got the wrong advice, was listening and said this, you know, your problems will be over tomorrow. It'll, you don't ever have to think of it again. We're just scraping a few cells away. And that pain is something that I carried for a very, very long time. And then Mm. I got pregnant again at 17 and Mm. had my son. And that there was during that pregnancy that I dedicated my life to God. I'm like, I have messed up big time. Like if you can do Mm -hmm. anything with my life and I felt that God loved me and I felt forgiven, but I had a very, very hard time forgiving myself. Um, Mm, I knew that, you know, I could go to eternity with him, but just realizing what I had done, especially after I had my my son, my first son, and was holding him in my hands, realizing Mm. what I had done at that young age. And it took many years and actually going through a a Bible study with other women where I walked in that room and saw the other women that had also chosen abortion all of us regretted it and walking through the steps of truly being able to forgive myself, realizing I was young. Mm -hmm. I was not a Christian. I was walking in darkness. I was trying to please my boyfriend, you know, trying to get out of the problem and having compassion for myself. And then realizing that even in that moment, God still loved me. I pictured tears in his eyes. Even if I was making the wrong decision, he still loved me and being able to forgive myself. And after doing that, there's still times that comes up. It's not like it's one and done, but it's going back and remembering God's love, remembering that he has forgiven me. I'm remembering, I will see that child again someday, which I'm very happy about. And then reaching out to other women. I've led Bible studies for other women. I helped start a, a pregnancy center when I lived in Montana. I've mentored teen moms. So even in my pain, being able to help other women so they can make different choices or they can get the help they need after they have their children. And so I think anytime it might be abortion, it might be whatever former choices we made, it may be stuff that happened to us and taking those things before God and seeking his word and seeking prayer, seeking counseling or a good Bible study that you can really find healing. Because I think so many times we're carrying these things for so long that it just becomes part of us, but we can lift those burdens. We can give those things to God. And he does want to bring healing into our lives. Boy, Trisha Goyer is sharing some really honest and uh, deep and in some cases painful truth about happiness in the Lord. Uh, She writes about this in her book called Heart Happy, Staying Centered in God's Love Through Chaotic Circumstances. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Trisha, there's a recurring theme in what you're talking about here. I think a lot of times when we hear happiness or things that are happy Mm -hmm. there's a part of us that says okay well either it's going to happen to us because the root of the word or it's going to be kind of easy right okay i'm having a bad day so i'm (laughs) going to buy a donut and now i'm happy you know we're 10 pounds heavier but but i'm you know I'm, i'm happy talk about the work that goes into this because you talked about a process just there in that example of you having an abortion at a young age that the healing process took a long time before you could really get heart happy with the lord about healing and forgiveness and all the things that would set you free from that burden. Yeah, the process. And I think what we don't realize is that it's based on relationship and not just ritual. Cause you know, it can be easy to say, um, yes, you know, sit down with your Bible, spend this amount of time in prayer, spend right, this amount right. of time, and then it'll be okay. But really that relationship must be built. And I have a perfect example of this. Um, one of our kids that we adopted, he was two and a half years old 
and he was so destructive. He disobeyed everything. He would just try to break things. He would knock things over. If there was a milk on the counter, he'd dump it out. It was just total destruction. And I would follow after him. Don't do that. Stop doing that. I'm going to put you in timeout. You're going to have to go sit in your room. And, you know, we welcome this little boy into our home and it was pure exhaustion and I didn't know what to do. And so we ended up going to therapy and the trauma therapist says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to spend five minutes a day with him. I want you to have a special box of toys and I want one-on-one, no one else is around in the room. I want you to play with him and I want you to say what he was doing. I want you to repeat what he says and I want you to praise him. So he'd be lining up the cars and I'd say, you're lining up the cars. And he'd offer me a car and I'd say, thank you for giving mommy a car. And he'd say, blue car. And I would say, blue car. And I'd say, you're such a good boy. You're doing such a good job playing with mommy. And the therapist had me practice this for months. It was like in their room and she's behind the glass and I'm practicing this and I'm like how is this going to help me get this kid to obey me and what I realized is that we needed that bonding we Mm. needed that relationship Mm -hmm. he'd been plunked in my home he'd been in different foster homes an abusive home behind that I didn't know this kid and then this gave us a chance for him I'm praising him I'm playing with him I'm interacting with him and then through the day because I'd been practicing that I would do that more like, great job doing Mm. this or look at you. Mm -hmm. And it built the bond between us where we had the relationship. And I think we can do this with God's word. We could read God's word and say, God, look what you are doing. I praise Mm. you for the way you created us. I praise you for giving us strength when we feel weak. And then, you know, just repeating what he says. You say in your word that we could have strength as eagles. Like I need that today. Mm -hmm. And that is building that relationship. And when I'm doing that in the morning, I find myself doing that throughout the day, just like oh, with, yeah. with Casey. And so that bonding and that relationship really needs to happen. It's not just these things, these rituals we do, but build, building that relationship with God. Well, and especially when, let's face it, we're that rebellious two and a half year old, we right? Are. You know, we're knocking we stuff are. over and God's right there when we get it right going, hey, okay, there's affirmation. And I think a lot of times we'll run from mm-hmm. the joy that is waiting for us or the peace or the happiness because of the fact that we know our own sin enough to know, okay, well, God's not going to be happy with this. So this is the way I'm, I'm, I'm going to approach it. And, and you write about in your book, Heart Happy, uh, the fact that it is easy to misplace joy and peace and things like that. Not that yeah. we don't have it. We just don't know where to get it. we got a couple minutes left their conversation. Could you address that uh, for us, what that means? Yeah, I think so many times when we get so focused on the external things, we forget that this is something that God has already given us. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, faithfulness, gentleness, you know, that the whole fruit of the spirit that comes from God in us. That is not something we have to figure out ourselves. Like help me to be happy today. Help me to be joyful today. Help Mm -hmm. me uh, like to be peaceful in my own strength. It's realizing like God is in me Mm -hmm. and he is my joy. He is my happiness. He is my strength. And so when we're looking at other things for that, when we're looking at other people for that, when we're trying to manufacture that ourselves, like help me to be patient, we need to say, Lord, you are in me. You are patient. I need to depend on you today. I need to trust in you today and know that he has already given us those things. I'm talking with Trisha Goyer today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Heart Happy, Staying Centered in God's Love Throughout Chaotic Circumstances. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we will be giving away a copy of the book at the end of this conversation. Uh, Trisha, 90 seconds left, not really a lot of time 
to fully develop the theme, I'm going to ask you the question, but I know you'll give it your best shot. We have a lot of our listeners who are in their senior years, you know, who are in the 60, 70 range like yours truly. And we're looking back now. I mean, there's always that push forward. I want this and I'm moving toward that and I'm growing and growing. When you get to a certain point, it seems like now you're kind of looking at where you are, looking at where you're going, but you're also kind of looking back and some of these memories might be starting to flood in right now. What's a good first step for someone who says, I like what you're saying, Tricia, but I just don't know if I have what it takes to step forward and walk in that happiness and that joy and that peace that you're encouraging us to? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is be okay with the emotions. I think especially as the years pass, we get used to shoving them down. And so sometimes I'd even journal painful times in my past and let the tears come. Let me go back to those moments and be okay being sad. And then then we can say, God, is there anything you want to teach me? Is there anything you want to show me in these moments? And I did that many, many times in the situation. I think sometimes we're afraid of the emotions. God's not afraid of the emotions. And, And sit before him and say, this is something that made me sad. This is something I really struggle with. And let him speak to our hearts um, as we open our words. He will give us the love and the answers that he wants us to have. I love it. I love it. Trisha Goyer, the brand new book is called Heart Happy, Staying Centered in God's Love Through Chaotic Circumstances. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Trisha, always a pleasure. Great to get to see you for a yeah, change on our Zoom it's, conversation. It's always great talking to you. Thanks for having me. And that concludes my conversation with author Trisha Goyer. Uh, today here on The Bottom Line, I have an early Christmas present for you. Uh, we don't typically do a ton of giveaways on Christmas Eve, but we do have four copies of Trisha's book available. Heart Happy is the name of the book. Staying Centered in God's Love Through Chaotic Circumstances. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. 800-227-5278 is the number to call. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Let's take a quick break and when we come back, refocus on the real reason for the season and not the chaos that drives us crazy. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, Dennis Wilson is with me today here on the bottom line. I'm Roger Marsh, 800-696-9970 or go to wilson-financial.com. There are a lot of people who have been really taking a bath when it comes to stocks this year, stock market off 25% in some segments, but yet you have a new program that's really designed to help somebody in that situation earn some of that loss back. It's obviously designed to do exactly that. It's a very limited offer on a 16% guaranteed return on your account in an account that in the next two years can never go down. It is a great vehicle to help people who have lost money because of the way the market is. But there is a time limit, is there not, Dennis Wilson? People have to act now. The 4th of January, you have an additional, I think, 30 or 60 days to get the funds in because some of these IRA accounts take a while to move. But yes, the initial application and declaration that you want to start the account needs to be signed by 1-4-23. This is a golden opportunity. Go to wilson-financial.com, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Welcome back to this special Christmas Eve Eve edition of the Bottom Line Show. And it is indeed Good News Friday. My thanks again to Trisha Goyer for having a conversation with us about the happy heart and staying centered in God's love through chaotic circumstances. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And as an early Christmas present, we have four copies of the book we're giving away right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Have you been frustrated this Christmas with the gift giving process? 
the fact that there have been supply chain shortages and trying to get people together. Hey, I don't mind saying that uh, this Christmas has been a bit more challenging for us because half of our kids now live in Texas, you know, and that I don't fault them for that. Kevin, our son, has been in San Antonio for a decade, but his sister Taylor and her husband moved to uh, the Dallas area, Fort Worth, Keller, uh, just a couple months ago. And then my daughter Emily and her husband Brian and grandson Isaac moved to uh, just outside of Conroe. And so kind of coordinating schedules and where are we going to church and that type of stuff, who's in town, who's not, that's all been part of the uh, the challenge. But, you know, it's interesting. It's as busy as life can get, as hectic and wild as things can get, whether it's work stress or family problems or, you know, even during the COVID pandemic, which is now an endemic, but it's still kind of weighing heavily on people's minds. One of the things that I think we could share with each other and with the world is something that the world lacks, and that is peace. People are trying to find happiness in all sorts of circumstances, but I'm telling you, joy and peace and patience and kindness, the things that we talk about, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, those are things that are exclusive to Christians that the world will never have. So do yourself a favor for the rest of this Christmas holiday. If you run into people who are a little uptight and they're kind of creating chaos because they don't know how else to do the holidays, remind yourself of the fact that these folks will never understand happiness until they understand the peace of Christ, the joy of Christ, and what it means to be chosen by him. As I shared in uh, earlier in the uh, broadcast today here on our Good News Friday, kind of Christmas Eve, Eve homily, the shepherds that God chose to reveal the good news to about the birth of Jesus Christ, the multitude of the heavenly host that came and gave them the message and saying, glory to God in the highest. The shepherds are special people. You have a special calling on your life. And this is not just special because I said so, but because God says so. The uh, pernissimus, the Greek word for literally set apart, means that the king who went to battle, went to the war and defeated the other kingdom, claims you now as not just plunder, but that special prize. God went to war against sin and death and hell, against the enemy and won on the cross. And Jesus Christ's victory, his blood conquers your life and mine. We are now that special purchase of his. And all of that began with the birth of the baby in the manger in Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago. That is the good news that we sing on a silent night. That is the good news that we sing all throughout the year. And that is my hope and prayer for you, that you'll experience that joy and peace and happiness because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Merry Christmas from all of us here at The Bottom Line.